So if you've been following through um, Acts um, um, in, the, in the witness reading plan, we have a reading plan that's accessible on our, on our website that you can read through the week before, and you can be prepared for the Sunday morning services and sermons. And so if you've read through chapter 10, what I want to do today is I want to kind of summarize the first 33 verses, okay? Because there's a lot of stuff in there, but I want to get to the last part really quickly so that we can kind of jump into some of these topics that we're going to talk about today. But what, what I want to make sure that we see absolutely clear today in these verses in chapter 10 is that cultural and racial integration in the church in the Gentiles was a major event in the book of Acts. It's not something that we can just read over and be like, oh, that Gentiles are here. Okay, let's move on. No, that's not what we need to do. We need to look at this and we need to, we need to put a mirror up on our culture and see where do we fall in this? Are we still struggling with that, that, that cultural and racial integration of the church to see the church bringing up the full image of who God meant it to be? Because we're called to be a church that is, that is kingdom-minded and, and have a, we have a new identity in Christ. And what happens is this topic, it covers two chapters, 10 and 11. And so I want to make sure that we spend some time looking hard and evaluating ourselves as men and women who say I'm a Christian or men and women who are searching for something. And I want us to evaluate our hearts in this as a body. Because throughout history, racism hasn't been a white problem or a black problem or an Asian problem or a Hispanic problem. Racism is a, is a humanity problem. It's a, it's a sin problem. It's an issue that we have at the core of who we are that needs to be broken. And if we look in Acts chapter 10, we're going to see, starting in 30, chapter, verse 34, but I'm going to work my way up there, you're going to start seeing what God's heart is for the nations. And so just to kind of summarize um, verses 1 to 33, so Paul one day, or excuse me, Peter was up on the roof one day, uh, 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 the, 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 the leather tanner's house that we left him on last week after he had raised Tabitha, whose nickname Dorcas, it was a terrible nickname, but like, you know, um, she was up, he was up on the roof, and he was, uh, he was praying, and he got hungry, and then he saw this vision, and he saw, he saw heaven open up, and that would have just been enough for me to see heaven open up. But okay, Lord, okay, all right, got it, let's move forward. But what happened, what appeared was a, it, it said, as, it, what appeared was is like a, a huge sheet. I don't think it was a sheet. I'm, in my entire childhood, I was like, oh, a king-sized sheet fell out from heaven. There was pictures of animals on it, you know. That's not what happened. What happened, you, know, you look at this and it, something that looked like a sheet. Like I, I think about Peter, and Peter's probably like, what the heck is that? It looks like a sheet, so let's write about it, okay? And so his mind couldn't fathom what he was seeing. And what was on it was, um, were, the, was it, were a number of animals that the Jews for centuries had thought were unclean, birds, reptiles, pigs. And I've heard it said this was the original uh, pigs in a blanket idea, right? I'm just kidding. So, sorry, pastor joke, my bad. <laughs> So then, so then God, from he God told Peter what he said. He said, kill and eat. Kill and eat. And so Peter's like, if, he was, if I was Peter, I'd be like, yes, sir. Here we go. Peter says, nah, not a chance, Lord. Not gonna happen. I've never touched anything clean my entire life. I followed you. I've done all that you've called me to do. But sometimes I feel like that we miss some things that we're reading scripture. We're studying scripture, writing things down, looking at all this stuff. You miss the magnitude of what's happening here. For 1,400 years, the Jews had avoided these animals because God told them they were unclean. So they, they made laws and they, to, to hem themselves in, and they had all these laws that, were, that, were, that they, were, they thought they were supposed to follow to the T. And now God is saying, Peter, get up and eat. And Peter's saying, never. God responds by saying, what does he say? Peter, what I've cleansed, you're, you're not to call unclean. What I've called holy, you don't call anything else but holy. You do what I say, son, basically what he's saying. And so God responds by saying, 
what I have cleansed, Peter, you are not to call unclean. And I think we overlook a lot of things here. And this is what I, this is what I love as I'm reading scripture. I'm starting to try to slow down, like slow down and look at punctuation, look at words, word placements, things like that. Look in verse 16. He says, this happened three times. And suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. Okay, so I'm like, you know what? Like, I would have needed it to happen three times too, right? If I had 1,400 years of religion stuck in my heart, I would need to hear it a few more times, right? God, and God knew that this happened. Okay, this is again. Do it again. Do it one more time. Okay, you got it? Okay, we're going away now. Okay, so listen. Peter is trying to figure out what all this means. Like, what is happening? What, Lord, what are you trying to say? I'm up here on the roof. Is this in my... Is my hunger getting to my mind here? Is this what's happening here? You know, but when all of a sudden somebody knocks at the door and Peter opens it and there's, there stands a bunch of Gentile soldiers. So Peter's a Jew. These are Gentile soldiers. They're Greek or, they're, or excuse me, Roman. And, the, and then Cornelius, the centurion, had been sent, sent the soldiers to Peter to find Peter because an angel in verse 3 told Cornelius to go find Peter. So, in, so while soldiers were on the way to Peter's location, God is preparing Peter the entire time Who's he, who he's about to meet in the soldiers. So God's preparing Peter. God had already sent their soldiers from Cornelius. It's amazing what happens. So God gave him just enough info. God gave him just enough info. A little side sermon. You, you don't need all the info to be obedient to God. You need to hear that this morning. You don't need all the info and all the details to be obedient. What God is leading you to do this morning, what God's leading you to do in your life. And remember, if we look back in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, God was pushing the church to the ends of the earth. He was literally doing it for them. He was doing it through persecution, and he was fulfilling Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so they were huddled in Jerusalem for eight chapters, and then God said, well, okay, let's kick you out of here. So he started persecution happened, so he's pushing them out. He was pushing them out of their safety zones. He was pushing them out of their comfort zone. And this is really, you know, and what, what happens in this chapter is really good for us in chapter 10 is that the gospel is going to the Gentiles. The gospel is being sent to the Gentiles, and this is really, really, really good for you and me. Unless we have Jews in here. Listen, it's good for me as, as, as Michael. Uh, this is great. I'm a Gentile. So you always hear phrases in the Bible as you look through Scripture, the Old Testament, the New Testament. You hear stuff in Romans, you know, first for the Jew, then the Gentile. First for the Jew, then the Jew. You hear, because God's promises were for, to the, for, the, for the Jews, and we've been grafted in through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. We've been brought in to, and we've, we've, we've inherited the Jews, um, the Jews um, just the, the promise and the covenant that God has made. And so the Jews had the, opportunity, had the opportunity to hear the gospel first, and then you see on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, and there was identification with, with God, and now it's time for the Gentiles. The Gentiles world, the Gentile world would receive it. And this reminds me of John chapter 10. If you, if you don't have your Bibles, they'll be on the screen. John chapter 10, verse 14 through 16. Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I laid down my life for the sheep, verse 16. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. This was probably very confusing to the, the apostles in this moment. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. One flock, one shepherd. Not the white flock, not the, the black flock, not the Hispanic flock, not the one flock, one shepherd. And I'm looking at this, the Gentiles were looked down upon. The Jews would pray prayers like, thank God I'm not a woman, thank God I'm not a slave, thank God I'm not a Gentile. 
right? Such a horrible prayer, but they thought they were pleasing God by living this way. They were looking down on these people. They were, they were neglecting these people. They thought they were, they were lower than human. And you can look throughout our entire history and see the same concept being played over and over and over and over again in multiple different cultures around the world. And what I see in Scripture, when Peter arrives and sees the proof of the Gentiles' faith, I'm sure that Peter was like, what is happening? Like, what's happening here? And all of a sudden, I feel like a light bulb comes on. He's like, oh. Uh, everything Jesus has said is like, bing, 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 bing. I get it, okay. It's, it's making sense. And you look in verse 34, and we'll start there, and we'll read through, um, we'll read it'll be a pretty decent amount of verses, but we'll just stick with me, okay? We're reading verse 34. So you, you're, you're caught up to speed here. It says, Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, every nation, circle every nation, Every nation, that means people groups. The word there is ethos. Every people group. The person who fears him and does what is right is what? Acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord over all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean countryside and in Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and it caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is what the one the one God had appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Amen. Hallelujah. That's awesome. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. These people didn't look like them. They didn't act like them. Their customs were not near like them. These were all, I mean, for all intents and purposes, this, these people were different. They were a different race and different culture. They, they were not the same. And they were like, this doesn't make sense. I thought this was only for the Jews. But he's saying the Gentiles have been brought in. It says, for they, had, they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. And then Peter responded, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Read that again. Just as we have as Jews. 48, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the G Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. I'm assuming to teach and to guide and to disciple. Let's look over into chapter 11 a little bit. The apostles and the brothers and sisters were there throughout Judea, heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, that's the Jews and the, and the religious elite, criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Basically saying, you went to that group of people and ate with them? They're unclean. They're not like us. Peter began to explain to them step by step, I was in the town of Joppa praying, and I saw in a trance an object that resembled a large king-sized bedsheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners from heaven, and it came to me. When I looked closely and considered it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, the wild beasts, the reptiles, and the birds of the sky. I also heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
No, Lord, I said, for nothing impure or ritually unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice answered from heaven a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call impure. Now this happened three times, and everything was drawn up again into heaven. And at that very moment, three men who had been sent to, from Caesarea arrived at my house where we were. The Spirit told me to accompany them to with no doubts at all. These six brothers also accompanied me and went into the man's house. He reported to us how he had seen the angels standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He will speak a message to you by which you and your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them, just as on us at the beginning. I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he also gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? Hear that. When they heard this, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, So then, God has given repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. And so we can begin to piece together the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we start looking at all along the, the prohibitions of eating unclean animals had just been a picture of human sinfulness. Like if you look, just like they couldn't eat certain animals because eating them would make them unclean, sin defiles the human spirit, making it unable to enter God's presence. But now Jesus had died and was raised again and he had removed the defilement of sin from the whole race for all who received it, not just the Jews, but all who received it. And if you look at this, there's a quote I love so much, I, I'm not sure who the, the, author, the original author is, but he says, man has one problem, sin. Man has one savior, Jesus. We're all part of one race, human, and we all have one hope, the resurrection. And so that brings us all together into one spectrum of living. And so if you look at the key words in verse uh, 36 and 38 of uh, chapter 10 again, if you flip back over one page, there's some key words in there is that the words that keep coming up in Peter's sermon is the word all. All. Jesus is Lord over all. Jesus healed all. Like it's a matter of um, all who are oppressed by the, by the devil. That means the Gentiles, the tax collectors, the Roman soldiers, the prostitutes. And if you look in verse 43, flip over to verse 43, a few verses down. It says, all the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While he was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on those who heard the message. The gospel was being preached. The Holy Spirit fell down and, and, and saved the people that were in the earshot. So what I'm looking at Look at the simplicity of faith here. There was no ceremony. There was no altar call. There was no lights or no baptisms. There were no keyboard playing. There was none of that stuff. Jesus, Jesus came down in the form of the Holy Spirit and touched these people, just faith in the message of the gospel. They listened to the gospel. They heard it. They had faith in the gospel. People were moved. That's what I'm saying is we don't need all that stuff. You don't need anything but somebody telling you about the gospel. And I don't really have to be the one to do that. It could be any of us. And so what I want to say this morning is that conversion happens when you believe the gospel and you embrace it as your own. When you hear the gospel and you embrace it as your own. And so then you look at verse 45 and 46, and I love this. When I read this, I about fell out my chair. It's awesome. It says, it says, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed. These Jews were like, what is happening? This is crazy. 
Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they had heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. And so I read that. How did they, how did they know that they were speaking the greatness of God if they were speaking in other tongues? Did you hear what I'm saying here? This is where it gets good. It's awesome. So they can understand them. They were probably, I don't know this for a fact, but they were probably speaking Hebrew or Aramaic, a language that they shouldn't know, but they do know, but the Jews knew. And so what I love about this is so cool I think this is the reverse of Acts 2. It's like these Gentiles are speaking Hebrew and Aramaic to prove to the Hebrews that the Holy Spirit had come to the Gentiles. Just like whenever the Holy Spirit came to the Jews, the Jews began to speak the, voice, or the words of the Gentiles that were speaking to all the, known, all the known world. And you see the transition there. And so it was proof of the Holy Spirit and the gospel coming to the Gentiles. And so don't you see, as, as a church, the sovereignty of God, and don't overlook this, that these Christian Jews being present in this moment so that they can see firsthand and be witnesses of what God was doing in the Gentile world. And we had to receive that. And we had to walk in obedience to that because God had told Peter, do not call unclean what I have called clean. Basically, receive them as your own. And then Peter looks around, and, and Peter is probably jacked up. If I was Peter, I'd be pumped. This is amazing. I'm just glad to be here. I just want to sit here and look at what's going on. You know, this is awesome to see what God is doing in verse 47. Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have obviously received the Holy Spirit as we have? And so these Jewish believers were like, God, what is happening? God is giving us a sign. I don't know what's happening. Uh, this, they're including the Gentiles now into this holy salvation covenant. And this was hard for it, man. This was hard for them to swallow because for the last 1,500 years, God's focus had been on the Jews. God's focus had been in that place. And you can see the issue in the first, first section of chapter 11 when Peter went to Jerusalem to report all that happened, these, 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 these supposed uncircumcised, or excuse me, these circumcised believers, these Jewish Messianic Jews who had believed in the, in the Savior come in this place and they say in verse three, you went to the uncircumcised and ate with them? That was their response? Listen, the Holy Spirit had come to the, to the Gentiles and your response is, you went and ate with them? That's weird. That's not a good response, and it shows some strongholds in their hearts. It shows some things in them that needed to be broken in Jesus' name. And it showed, it, it showed something in them that it was their sin that had blinded them to what God was doing. And we need to see this morning, as Peter starts to explain his dream and provides proof of the gospel going to the Gentiles, if you look into verse 17, Peter drops the mic and says, bro, how could I possibly hinder what God was doing? Because God was moving. It wasn't something we were doing. It wasn't something that was just randomly. God was moving. And that's the question that I want to ask us today as a church. If Peter was saying, how could I hinder what God was doing? I would just, I follow my master, I follow my Lord, and I follow him, and I do what he tells me to do. And so my question for us this morning is I want us to wrestle with this today. Are you hindering God's mission of racial or cultural diversity in the kingdom? Is that heavy enough for you? I was trying to find the heaviest statement I could find. But seriously, are we hindering that? I have three things I want to kind of bring out today. The first one is why diversity in the church is important. The second thing I want to talk about is why it's hard. The third thing I want to talk about is what our body should be doing as a challenge. I want to challenge you. Is that okay? And this is Scripture. We're in verse 10. This is Scripture. We're walking through Acts. But what I want to say first, why is diversity in the church important? Not only do I think it's important as a, as a Christian, as a pastor, as someone who studies the word, 
I would even say a church that isn't racially or culturally diverse is not giving a clear picture to the world around them of what the kingdom of God looks like. So listen, there's a, there's a couple little subheadings in this point, if y'all are taking notes. This is the first one, a little subheading. Is, is God's purpose in salvation is to bring the races and the nations back together. Unification. Bring them back together as, as, as in one name. And for the world to see a complete image of who God is. For the world to see an image of God being from every culture, every race, every creed, brought together under the name of Jesus, worshiping him as king. That's a perfect picture of heaven to the world. And that's what, that, that's what, um, that's what we're called to do as a church. And, and you can look in Genesis 11. We're not going to read there. You can just go later, write it down, Genesis 11, Tower of Babel. We see the cultures being divided. The cultures and the races are divided. And man, and basically what had happened, man had come together in one place, one culture, to build a tower to declare their greatness to God, or their greatness, not God's. They were saying, we're gonna build a tower to heaven, basically showing how awesome we are. And they kind of forgot God. They were integrating all these cultures. And, and God was saying, no, that is not how I created you. That is not what I did. It's not about you. It's about me. And so God separated them and caused confusion. The languages were split there and created new cultures and languages and all these things. And let me explain something about God's judgment to you as a side note. God's judgment on sin, a lot of times, and I'm not sure if you're in, the hit, in this realm today, but a lot of times God's gonna judge your sin. I say most of the time. He does it by giving you the very thing you want and lets you taste the bitterness of it. Like scripture, even you can look, probably the best example I could give you off the top of my head would be Romans 1. It, it tells us that God doesn't send us to hell. Everybody's like, what? God doesn't send you to hell, you choose that. God gives you an opportunity to choose, free will. If we go to hell, it's our doing. It's us saying no to God and yes to ourselves. And listen, we choose. He gives us the very thing we want. If, you, if you're self-indulging, self-indulging, self selfishness and pride, those are the things he's just gonna end up giving you if you keep going and going and going. And it's important that we see that. So man was building this tower in, the, in Genesis 11 to heaven, to proclaim man's pride. It's all about us. We're great. Look how great we are. And then God begins to separate them into cultures. And ironically, what happens, you can look throughout the Old Testament, what happens, you can see this in our culture. What happens is, is that, that through these cultural distinctives, what happens is we start becoming prideful about those things. My race is better. My culture is better. And it becomes just segregated, prideful people groups instead of one big prideful people group. So it's, it's like, what's happening, guys? Are you not going to get it? So then God becomes, he, he forms his plan. It's the plan that we're still on. Um, Genesis 12, God calls out Abraham and tells him, what does he say? I want to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless all the other nations of the world through your seed. And what that points to is Jesus. From Abraham's seed would come the Savior of the world, who is Jesus who we celebrate in this, in this place is Lord. The plan from the very beginning of this book was to bring them back, not united around their pride, but united around the name of Jesus. Every chapter in this book that you read, I pray, every chapter in scripture points to the coming King, Jesus. Every chapter, and it's a culmination is seen in a prophecy in Revelation chapter five showing representatives from every tribe, every nation, every tongue united around the throne praising God, praising Jesus as the Lamb of God. And as the church, we're supposed to be giving a sign to the world of the coming fulfillment of God's covenant in salvation. We're supposed to be painting a picture to the world of God's kingdom. 
The, the, the Bible says they, you know, they, the world, will know us by what? Our love and our unity, by the way we're united. And that means we're called to have an uncommon love, to have an uncommon unity in the church so that the outsiders would say, hey, those people don't really match well what's going on here, but they love each other a lot and they're very unified in what they're doing and there's a lot of fruit happening over here. I want to see what's going on. So that's how the world is reached with the gospel because God does something supernatural whenever we come together and you're united around his name. And so let me tell you, we won't be perfect in this. We have been far from perfect in this. You know, but as much as we can, we need to be painting a picture for our communities, for our world, and for the coming kingdom. And throughout the book of Acts, we get glimpses of this. You can look in Acts chapter 2. All languages, the, the, the apostles and the Christians were, were speaking the languages of the known world, declaring the praises of God. By Acts 13, Antioch had become the capital of Christianity. It was the capital of the Christian world. It was where many missionaries were sent out of because of the persecution in Jerusalem. They had moved from Jerusalem to Antioch. And there's something that Luke says in verse, or chapter 13 that most people read right over. If you have your Bible, you can flip over to uh, chapter 13. We're going to be there in three weeks. You can, I, I think I counted that right. Three, okay, yeah, that's right. So verse one, there's something that we read right over that, that we don't even look at. I'm like, why is this even here? This makes no sense that this would even be here. Because I look at verse two and it just kind of carries back on. So let's read this together. Uh, chapter three, verse one, it says, uh, chapter 13, verse one, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And then it goes on and starts talking about some other things. So I'm like, why'd you even bring that? Because you don't even talk about these guys ever again in that book. So you look closer. What's happening here? Luke lists five church leaders in Acts 13. Five church leaders. We know Saul and Barnabas at this point. We know who they are. But Manan was from Herod's household, which means he was a Jewish aristocrat. Okay? Simeon had the nickname Niger, which literally meant black. <laughs> literally. Because he was from the region of, of the sub-Saharan African area, that modern-day nation of Niger sits. And Lucius was from Cyrene, which is in modern-day Libya. And so you look at this, that means the five leaders mentioned, one was from the Middle East, one was from Asia, one was from the Mediterranean, and two was from Africa. Let's look at diversity in the church here, okay? Let's look at this a little bit deeper. So why did Luke include this? Like, I'm looking at this, like, what, Luke, why'd you put this, bro? What, what's happening here? We never hear any, about any of these guys ever again um, in, in this same group, what, what it, which means the only reason that Luke includes this detail is to show you that the early church's leadership in Antioch was actually very diverse because it would have made more sense to just start in verse 2 in that, in that chapter. So then you look further in Luke, uh, uh, Luke or excuse me, Acts chapter 11. There's an identity switch that happens that I love. It says in Acts eleven twenty six, it says the believers were first called Christians in Antioch. The, the, the Christians were first called Christians. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. This was the first group that was ever called Christians. And so they ceased to be identified so much by their races and more identified with their identity in Christ. And it was from Antioch that the gospel began to spread throughout the known world. And so the second, well, that shows me a little second subheading under this point one is a multicultural church is a powerful gospel witness. A multicultural church is a powerful gospel witness. A multicultural church in which people have been historically divided 
are brought back together in Christ. That points to the mystery and the power that's found in the gospel. You read about this in Ephesians. You read about this in other places in the gospel, about about the gospel being a mystery. I don't understand it. What's happening? The gospel is simple to understand and grasp, but what happens when people receive the gospel and start being changed by the gospel, that's the mystery. What the gospel does in somebody's heart and unifying hearts and lives, that's the mystery. I don't understand how that works. I know what God's done in my life. That person doesn't look like or smell like me, but he's doing the same thing in his life. And how, what's, it's, it's crazy what God does in that mystery. So when you have a group of people who have very little in common except for a common love for Jesus and the experience of grace that we both have experienced, that speaks to the world. That speaks to the world. Third subtitle, subheading here. Sorry for all my subheadings. I just got a little carried away. It's actually C in my notes if you want to put that there. I'm just kidding. Um, so God, God is most glorified when the church is a beautiful tapestry of cultures. God is most glorified when the church is a beautiful tapestry of cultures and races. In Revelation 5, every nation, every race, every culture is represented around God's throne. That's beautiful. And if the church looks nothing like the kingdom, something's wrong, guys. If the church you attend looks nothing like the kingdom, there's a problem. Because we're kingdom citizens living with other kingdom citizens. And our, and our churches should be getting to look like the kingdom. I was convicted recently, I, well, I say recently, this past year. I was talking to a brother of mine who, um, he's a black brother of mine. He said that, I, and I, we were having a conversation and, I, and it just shows my ignorance and it shows my, um, just my, my struggle as a, as a white man sometimes. I said, I, I said something about, you know, man, I'm colorblind, bro. I love, I love, I, man, I just love everybody the same. I, I'm all about it. I want, I, want, I want everybody to be unified around, around Jesus. I want people to come together and see. And so little by little, God began to peel back the layers of my heart and that and say, man, that's a horrible thing to say. You just told that brother, you, know, you don't see his color. You don't see him for who he is. And I started reading through this. I started reading some scripture. I started reading books and different things. And, you know, I was convinced by, by this in my life, in my ignorant and humble attempts to prove my inclusion and love for all the cultures that I read about in scripture, I was passively downplaying something God wanted me to highlight. Does, does that make sense? God was wanting me to highlight those things, not, not, to, not to just ignore it or pretend like it wasn't there. God wants us to come together, man. Like, God is not colorblind. He delights in the various cultures. He made us this way. Listen, the gospel is not colorblind. The gospel is color engaging. And it's important that we see there's no such thing as a black church. There's no such thing as a white church. There's no such thing as an Asian church or a Hispanic church or a Korean church. There's no such things as those things. Those were human labels that we have put on buildings to, to huddle in places that help us stay in our comfort zone. And we need to see, man, like, listen, churches that are divided by race or culture are churches that are failing to express the full image of God to the world. That includes every race, every nation. Guys, we gotta come together in this and it's gonna be hard. And that's my second point is why is cultural and racial diversity hard? I got one word, it's a dirty word. Cover your ears, Miss Kidd. It's called pride. Verse A, pride. Pride. Cultural diversity is hard. Racial diversity is hard because of our pride. Just like in Genesis 11, our race has become a source of pride for us. 
Like we're, we're constantly coming up with things in our lives, aren't we, that, that we believe makes us significant. So aren't we all trying to be significant in some way? Like I, I, I got this job or I got that job or I have this wife or that, those kids or I have this house or I have this, I can do this, this is my talent, all these things. We well, wanna be significant. The Bible tells us to die. We're supposed to die to ourselves to allow God to bring us back to life for who he's called us to be. And we're constantly trying to put things in front of that. We like to say, I'm smart, I'm rich. I went to this school, but I step on some toes. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, I'm a Libertarian. Listen, side note, it's time for us to stop allowing our political beliefs to guide our faith. I know I stepped on some toes, but it's okay. And we need to start allowing our faith to guide everything in our lives including our politics. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a member of the kingdom of God before I'm a member of a, of a, of a, of a political party. I, I'm, a, I'm a member of the kingdom. I'm a citizen of the kingdom. I have a king that I answer to before I have a president that I answer to. I have a king that I follow. His name is Jesus. And if I'm allowing anything else in this world to hinder that viewpoint, then I'm missing out. But what happens in our pride sometimes is it either drives us to exalt ourselves or to push ourselves down and look down on ourselves. And there's not, not really a lot of middle ground on that. But, and race has become a really great example of this. We have feelings of superiority. My race is the best. We have, we have feelings of inferiority. I can't go to that place because people are going to look down on me or something bad might happen. Or we have, or we have things of insecurity with one another. Maybe it's, maybe it's like, you know, you're not treating me with the respect that I deserve. You're not seeing my color. You're not seeing my heart. You're not seeing who I am as a child of God. You may say that, but you don't treat me that way. And it comes off that way. And we need to understand today that we have forgotten that Christ has torn down the dividing wall. We are one in Christ. There's no division in the kingdom. And the real issue, the real reason that we have skin issues is because we have a sin issue that we don't address and that we need to walk out and follow. As we look into Acts 10, we see the Jews and the Gentiles coming together. We see that tension, that hard, like the cultural preferences that happen between the Jews and the Gentiles. And that's my little second subtitle B, is what I'm calling it, is, is the second thing of why it's hard is we have cultural preferences and they run deep. Cultural preferences run very deep. They do. I'm going to talk to some, some of my, my brothers really quick is that there, back in the civil rights era, there was something called the great white myth. When our white brothers and sisters repented of their racism, there was an assumption that all their African-American brothers and sisters would come rushing back into their churches, thanking God that everyone could worship together again. That's prideful. It's delusional. It's sinful. It's wrong. This type of thinking doesn't have reconciliation or restoration or unity in mind. That type of thinking exposes the ignorance and the lack of concern for other people, other brothers and sisters of other races and cultures. And what it does is it exposes a lack of interest in us of becoming a unified church and expresses the full image of who God is to the world. And don't hear me wrong, please. This is not a white problem or a black problem or an Asian problem or an immigration problem or a Mexican problem. It's none of those things. This is a sin problem that infects every single one of us in this room. We've all fallen short of the glory of God and our sin. It's a heart problem that we need to allow the Lord to breathe life into. We need to be humble, vulnerable, open, having conversations, admitting biases that we have and talking in a place where we can trust one another and honor one another. 
Our preferences should never be the foundation for our, our decision-making, guys. Our preferences should never be that because that always leads towards a comfort zone. That always leads us to a place where I feel comfortable. I can worship better when I'm comfortable. I can worship better when I have my seat, when I've got my people, I'm good to go. We're good. Let's worship Jesus. Whenever I'm not honoring Jesus with my heart. Listen, do you want to know how you can know if you're in a multicultural, multiracial church? You're not always comfortable. How about that? You're not always comfortable. Listen, and that's okay. You can smile about that and enjoy that push and that pull as you're learning how to live with the kingdom of God. Just a little quick run through. As you know, I grew up as a Southern Baptist church, man. You're like, what? Yeah, that's true. The people I remember most in my church, I'm not doing that again. The people I remember most, they love God intensely. They would sing how great thou art to the top of their lungs, buddy. My grandma would do it until her dentures fell. I'm talking about hardcore, buddy. I'm telling you, she would sing, she would sing on her tiptoes, like loving Jesus, how great they are. But many of them, they would live the most sacrificial lives, pouring themselves out for the gospel, prayer warriors like you would never believe. They just weren't very emotional expressively whenever it comes to talking about your feelings, because you know you don't talk about how you're strong. You know, I, I know some people from other denominations who would say, you know what? They're not filled with the Spirit because they don't, they don't be very expressive in worship. They're not speaking in tongues. They're not doing all these things. Then they must not be filled with the Holy Spirit. So since when did being filled with the Spirit become synonymous with a worship style? As you're reading Scripture, when, when did that happen? These people were serving God faithfully, sacrificially being generous, brought people to Jesus constantly. Fast forward in my life a little bit. I was a youth pastor in a Methodist church, United Methodist Church, for two or three years. They did not worship very hardcore. They, they would sing their songs, sit down, get up. They were very methodical. Let's put it that way. Yeah, right. So then later in life, I was in college, and I attended a college service on my college campus. They would, these college kids would have their hands raised. They would be fired up. They would be, I mean, they were like dancing, and they were fired up about Jesus, who he was. They would be carrying the TV, you know, worshiping like this. Some would be raising their hands up high. You know, doing these things, tears would be coming out their eyes. They, they would occasionally shout an amen. You know, they would write down everything in their little leather-bound journal that had their boyfriend or girlfriend's name on it. All those things, uh, that's, that was the heart behind those moments, you know. And then a little, little while later, I went, my parents go to First Baptist Church in Statesboro right now currently, and they have a Korean ch- a service there. I stuck my head in a, one time, a, a long time ago. There was a lot of energy in that place, a lot of shouting and worship giving the Lord a high five or washing the window, you know what I'm saying? All those types of things. They were fired up about worship. They were jacked up about Jesus and what he had done. But whenever the sermon came on, when the sermon was, was preached, zoned in. I'm not even sure they blinked. They, they, they had a hunger for the word like you wouldn't believe. A few years ago, I'm, I've had a chance to go to Kenya two or three times. And one of my first trips there, I was able to sit into a church service that was in the middle of the bush in Africa, in Kenya, and it was in the middle of nowhere. Like, you, you ride and you ride at church, okay? So we get out, we go in, fired up about the Lord, buddy. They were, I mean, but when we walked in, the church service kept going, but people came and gave me their seat. They said, here, you sit here. I'm gonna stand up on the wall. They were just, love, they, didn't, they never met us. They didn't even know we were coming. They, I didn't, they didn't look like me. I didn't look like them, but they loved me because I was a brother. They were worshiping. When a pastor came up, they asked us to come up and preach. I was like, no, I'm just here to watch, bro. 
And so then they wanted us to sing a song with them. So literally, this big old six foot two white guy was sitting in the middle of these, these, these uh, Maasai warriors and the, their women had, you know, had their, 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 uh, their jewelry and different the, the African things they, that they wear. And so and it was, they were there in that moment. I was, I was sitting there singing with them. I had no idea what the words are, but I kind of got the beat and I was with them. It was awesome, man. It was great. And then a little while later, in college, again, I was in, um, I, was in I worked for a, an organization called World Changers. And we had the opportunity to spend five weeks in New Orleans. And I was able to go to an African-American church there. Longest service I've ever sat through. But it was also the shortest because I was so in, in tune with what was going on in that place because it was so exciting because they loved the Lord and they were so expressive in their worship. The most emotional, the most loving culture that I've ever been a part of. They even had a lunch break and then went back to it afterwards. And I'm like... That's what we need. We need to have a lunch break in the hallway and come back in here after, after lunch and let's get back in the Word, man. That's what I love. Listen, I'm all in. I'm all in for that, man. Listen, so, so which one of these expressions of worship is right? All of them. All of them. We all, every culture, every nation, every tribe, every tongue has a unique expression of what God is and what he's done and they're, they're expressing their love for who Jesus is and it's important that we understand What's wrong is when we begin to judge each other and to divide, divide based off our preferences. It becomes more about what we prefer than who we worship. And listen, I, I know some of you, we, we did a new song this morning. I'm not dumb enough to think some of you didn't hate that song. Like, that song's too loud. That song's too long. I don't want to do that no more. Listen, there's all kind of stuff that we don't like. But guess what? It's okay because we're not singing to you. We're singing to our Lord. And listen, it's important that we understand that it's not about our preferences. It's about our submission to him. It's about our submission to the Lord and what we're, who we're calling Jesus. We all have cultural preferences, but they, when they become idols and even sin, and we devalue that over unity, that's wrong. We, when we value culture preferences over the Lord, over unity, and over love for our brothers and sisters, it's sin and it's wrong and it needs to be repented of and turned over to Jesus. And we need to work on the healing process in the, in the bigger C church. And so the last point today, how can Connection Church Savannah respond as a body? How can we respond? The first little subtitle, A, our goal is not just the elimination of racism. It's the achievement of diversity. People in here, are, some of you guys, I ain't racist. I'm not racist. Well, so I'm good with this, right? I'm, good. I'm not racist. I'm good. I love everybody. As if they have achieved something. Oh, you know, good job. You know? Listen, God's goal is not just the elimination of racism. It's the achievement of diversification. It's not just the elimination of that sin. It's the achievement of bringing the cultures and the races together in that moment. God's vision to Peter didn't mean to just stop being racist. It was a challenge to, to meet and embrace Cornelius where he was, to go in and eat with him, to worship with him. Think about if you read that story in chapter 10, Cornelius, when, he, when Peter came into the house, what did Cornelius do? He fell on his knees in front of Peter and worshiped him. Listen, Cornelius was a Gentile. Peter was a Jew. Peter, in his mind, would be like, that's right. That's what you're supposed to do, boy. You know, Listen, he said, no, get up, because he knew he was his brother. He knew they were equals. He knew they were one in Christ. And that's what we're called to be in this place. And so congratulations that you're not a racist, but have you gone the full measure of what the gospel calls you to do? 
to fight, to fight, to fight for love, for unity, and for us to see a church that has a good picture of what the kingdom looks like. B, we need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. We need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. You don't go to a church because you're comfortable there. You don't go to a church because you're comfortable. I like this place, this is awesome. I feel good, I'm safe. That's not where you're supposed to go to church. Go to church where a place where it might make you feel a little uncomfortable, but you know it's right. And God's working. That means God is grinding away the things that he wants to be gone. And that's how you know that you're in a multicultural, multiracial type church. We need to quit judging each other and we need to start appreciating each other, calling out the giftings in each other, the beauty of our cultures, giving each other the benefit of the doubt, being patient, loving one another when you're ignorant like me. I had no idea that I was saying something wrong. Love one another. Bring each other in. Help gently correct. Say, hey, man, nah, I don't do that. Like love, you know, I have a friend, and he'll, he'll tell me, don't do that. So he corrects me in those moments. I'm like, sorry, I didn't know. So listen, that's how we know. We need to start learning from each other. Get into a relationship with people where you're able, that doesn't look like you, where you're able to ask questions and have a conversation and love one another, where you're able to learn about someone else's culture, about someone else's life. Because I promise you one thing, if someone looks and acts and is a different culture, different race than you, they've had to deal with something that you've never had to deal with and vice versa. And it's important that we come together and are unified around Jesus in that. The third thing, Cultural and racial diversity is not our primary goal. The gospel being proclaimed to the nations is always the goal. Diversity can't be the primary goal. The main goal is the Great Commission and it's about making disciples of all nations. But cultural and racial diversity is a sign that the gospel is taking root in a place because you're starting to see something very uncommon happen. You're starting to see unity and diversity happen in a place where the gospel is coming alive. The mystery of the gospel is coming alive. For many people, multiracial diversification has taken too much weight and it's become an idol. The gospel has to remain central to everything because that's what unites us. Next thing is, some of you should consider this a calling. Some of you should consider this a calling in your life, like a call to missions. We're called, to, we're called to it, but some, some of you may be more specifically called to it. Some of you need to make this a central part of your ministry to, to leave your community and enter another. There's people in this church that have done that very bravely, have come into a place that doesn't look like them. But guess what? They come into a place as, as, as missionaries to see the kingdom come alive in a place where it's not. And it's important to see that unless this happens, we can't say we're giving a proper, proper vision to the world of what the kingdom of God looks like in heaven right now, praising God. We can't say God is calling us to the nation's connection, church if we aren't willing to go to the nations that are represented in our church and in Savannah. It makes no sense to go 10,000 miles across the globe to reach a people group or of another culture or another race and not willing to go two miles or 10 feet across an aisle or two miles across a community to reach the Spain people. It makes no sense because what that means is more about us and it's about them. We all must intentionally form relationships with people outside our comfort zones in all sides and all cultures and all nations. If you don't do this, this will never happen. Because to be intentionally, to be intentional, to not be intentional in this 
basically means that we're, we're, we're to be intentionally non-diverse. Don't just go to multicultural events, live a multicultural life. So are we standing in the way? Many of you this morning are like, I didn't even know this was a problem. Probably. You're comfortable where you're at. My heart would be that you would be praying through this. Guys, God is moving in our body. He's convicting our hearts to see his church unified and mature so that he can do great things in this place, greater than he's already done. The beauty of what Jesus has done on the cross for all people and has brought them back to himself, don't escape any of us now because of what Jesus did is in breaking down the dividing wall of hostility so that every nation, tribe and tongue can come to him, can come to the Father. He died for sin, he died for you, he died for me, he died for all so that we can all worship him together one day. And if today, if today is the day of salvation for you, don't let this moment pass you by. If today is the day of repentance for you, say, hey, I've been, a, I've been a ignorant to a lot of these things that Acts 10 is talking about, and I need to repent. Come to this altar. That, that's not the only thing we can come to the altar for, though. Come to this place and, and get your life right with the Lord. Say, God, I don't know where I'm at most of the days, but listen, I know I need you. I know I need a father. I know I need someone to come and save me. I know I need someone to come and forgive my sins. I've been carrying this burden for two long and so this morning come to him don't just sit in your seats knowing that God is calling you to respond because when the gospel is preached whenever the Lord is being is wherever the Lord is working in a church it is requires a response and not responding to the gospel is is rejecting the gospel and so this morning I just want to share with you that that, that you that you know that that is what our heart is as a church that we would be the church that that portrays a beautiful image of a beautiful tapestry of the kingdom of God in this place. So this morning, I want to pray. If you know this morning is the day of salvation for you, I'm going to be standing right there. I would love to talk to you. These other members of our prayer team would be on the wall. They would love to talk to you and pray with you. Don't leave this room the same way as you come. If you know you need to pray and lay some things down, come pray at this altar. It's a simple, it's a simple little line. You go up to one of us and say, I need Jesus. We'll take it from there. So, Father God, we love you and we praise you for who you are and what you've done. God, we thank you for the just the love that you poured out on the cross. God, we praise you for that. We give you honor for that. God, I pray this morning that you would break down the walls of hostility in our heart. God, the ignorance, Father, the the just the just the the lack of understanding. Father, I pray that you would just bring light to our eyes so that we can see. Father, change our hearts. Bring us to our knees and surrender to you. Father, we love you and it's in Jesus' name I pray.